beginning in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds every, everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thank, thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we continue through our study in, in Colossians, Paul continues now to work through a very pragmatic, a very hands-on uh, description, uh, a, a list of really imperatives of how we are to live, how we, how we ought to think, uh, how we ought to react to the world around us as believers. Again, keeping in mind that we are able to do those things because of the union we have with Christ. So this is not a list of things that we are to do in the, in the strength or in the power of the flesh. All right, this is what, two things, one will begin to be developed in us by the Spirit of God. At the same time, we are to have an awareness of this so we can pursue these things. All right, so we're pursuing righteousness. This is um, what it looks like and how it is that he wants us to be able to live. So, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So the word, the phrase, or the, or the words there, put on, very simple, it means to, to like put on a garment, put on some clothes. The idea is that uh, you, you, you kind of possess the mind of Christ uh, based on the reading of the scripture and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We possess the mind of Christ uh, in our thought, in our feeling, uh, in our action. All those things are to resemble Christ. He is the one that we are to follow. He is the one that we are to, uh, to imitate. This is, this is the standard that we are to try to uh, emulate. So, it's, so it, even though you want to make an improvement in your life morally, you don't want to compare yourself with either yourself or with others. What I mean by that is you don't want to become satisfied where you say, well, I know that I get angry, but it's not like how I used to. Now, that's a good thing if you've improved. That's great. But don't become satisfied with just that. What you want to do is you want to emulate Christ when it comes to controlling your anger. All right, so... On one hand, it's not wrong to think about that or to even say it as far as improvement, but you want to avoid the idea of being content with that. You also don't want to allow yourself to say, well, you know, I know I have some problems, but I don't have as many as Ron. Okay? So now you may actually know that for a fact. You shouldn't say it, and that's not the point. The point is not are you doing better than Ron. The point is, is are you like Christ? And that, that's... That's all of us are to be striving for that uh, in our lives. That will, that will help us to make better progress in, lives, in our lives as Christians and also prevent us from having uh, some wrong attitudes. 
So again, we've been chosen by God. That's what, So he's trying to, once again, emphasize the uniqueness of the relationship that we have with God. Uh, we are holy because God has set us apart uh, for himself. He set us apart to live in a particular way. Uh, so remember that when it comes to being holy, it's both you are holy and we are to seek to be holy. Because you've been set apart by God. Um, you have been sanctified in your position. But now, as I understand that, I am to live that out in my life and to, and to be that individual. Um, I'm beloved because that's my position with Christ. Loves me. God loves me. You know, I'm not, so I'm not, a, I'm, even though the Bible uses the image of slavery in the way we obey Christ, and that's not wrong, we're not, we're not a slave where there's no relationship. The idea is that he loves us. And so because of his special love for us, we are in this unique position, and all these things should motivate us to live the way that God wants us to live. Yes, ma'am. Does Christ condone illegal actions? No. no. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, He would never condone anything that would be illegal, sinful, etc. Um, none of those things were ever okay. Um, so again, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and then He begins to go through a list. So now this list is not just to make a list because it's, just, it's the thing to do. He really wants us to think about each of these things. Uh, when it talks about compassion, the idea is that you, you feel a sense of kindness for others. You want to be kind to them, regardless of who they are, regardless of their political leanings or whatever it happens to be, we are to have compassion for each other. That is to mark us. Remember that this is that when it comes to these things, it's never this idea that you are to wait until you feel compassion for somebody. It doesn't matter if you feel it or not. That's going to come eventually. Just obey. Just do what it says. Be so you can be compassionate even if you don't feel that way. Okay, it's an absolute possibility. And again, we know it's a possibility for us because. We are doing this in the power of Christ. God's helping us. He's going to help us to obey uh, what he says. Kindness means exactly what it says. Humility. Think, think of humility as this, is that you never care if you get the credit. Don't just think about humility as being a statement that you don't care who gets the credit. Make it about yourself. I don't care if I ever get the credit. I don't care if anybody ever notices anything about me or not because it is unimportant. If you want to have real freedom from what other people think about you, that's the way to go. All right? We just we follow what Christ says, no matter what. And if people recognize you a certain way, great. If they don't, it doesn't matter. All right? uh, we're, not, we're not here to please people. So you, so, but think of it this way. You do want to please people, but that's never your objective. You want to please the Lord. Along the way, we will please other people. There will always be someone you won't please. That's just how it goes. You don't then, so it's not that you don't care. Okay, it's not that. We do care. We care about that individual. But our priority is, we would say, we care about Christ more. We care about what God thinks more. And so that's what's to drive us when it comes to, so humility is really a great virtue, a great characteristic of course, if you think about it, if you pursue it really hard, you can never brag about it. <laughs> All right. But it really is, again, it's very freeing 
because we do live in a society where that is a huge thing. Um, if you get caught up in whether or not anybody is reading your post on Facebook, you need to be humble. You post it, they read it, they read it. They don't, they don't. If they, if they click it and they like it, terrific. If they don't, you don't know, it doesn't matter. This doesn't matter, all right? Um, you're not doing it for the clicks. And a lot of people do. It's easy to get caught up in. You know, like, I mean, I, I, mean, I notice them. I notice, <laughs> I notice when I, I put what I think is really thoughtful, and there may be, you know, 30, 40, 50 likes or whatever. I put a photograph of me and my grandkids, 189 clicks. <laughs> it's just <laughs> whatever. A, I know that there may be a lot of people reading what I've, writ what I've written, and they're not going to click they like for whatever reason because it doesn't matter. All right, so you want to you go the route of humility. It really is, uh, it will be very beneficial to you, and you'll have a lot less stress in your life. Um, uh, and, and I like the way, uh, I use this a lot because I just think it's a great phrase, and I do like saying it, uh, but I was listening to a guy, he's from the Bronx. Uh, he's not a believer. He was about something completely different, but he was being interviewed, and he says, well, you know what it is, I just don't let other people rent space in my head. And so that's just, you want to have that kind of freedom uh, to have that. Then he talks about meekness. So meekness, again, remember, people say it all the time. It's not weakness. Uh, it's strength under control. So you want to be strong, but the, the, the point is not to show others how strong you are. Be strong for others. Be strong in the right way. But again, because of humility, you're not drawing attention to it. All right? You just... You're committed to Christ and what he says. And so meekness uh, is something that we really should strive for uh, in our lives as believers. And then he adds to that patience. Patience is more than just putting up with somebody, even though that's part of it. But patience is your character. So in the context of Scripture, patience then is your character as a Christian is not hindered or diminished um, because of a difficult circumstance or a difficult person. Uh, you are the same, no matter what. So, you, the, a believer technically can never blame another person or a circumstance for you becoming impatient or even angry. You, you can't blame them. If you do that, it's, it's wrong. And you're incorrect. Now, we want to, Right? I know I want to, and sometimes I still do. You know? It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm impatient, but this clown in front of me can't make up his mind. Now, he might be a clown, and it may be true he can't make up his mind, but I don't have to be irritated at that. I don't have to act irritated. That's, that's me. That, that's, that's what that is. So we want to uh, make sure then that we are, uh, that we are patient. And again, um, some, this is an old statement. People have said this. People kind of sometimes joke about it. They'll say that you should never pray for patience because if you pray for patience, God is in a lot of tribulation so you can get it. Well, the, the negative thing about that statement is it's almost like, like you're, you're saying don't pray for patience because God's going to get you. So God's not in the business of getting us. And remember this. If you need patience, it doesn't matter if you pray for it or not. God's going to send it. All right, whatever it's going to be to develop it. But normally, the way patience is developed is through hardship. A lot of things are developed that way. That's, and, we, and as a Christian, you should not 
and I should not view that negatively. Even in the midst of it, and it may be a negative thing, and I don't like it, I, I'm not afraid, I shouldn't be afraid of it, but I don't view it negatively, all right? Um, I want, I do, I do want those things. I do want these things to be developed in my life. I do understand that may be through some hardship, but I don't sit around and fret and worry about it, all right? It's just, it's going to happen, and we just continue to turn to the Lord, depend upon the Lord, and it will develop. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where we need to be aware of these things. We want God to develop these things in our lives. We, in a sense, can focus on them, be aware of them, but we, we don't allow these things to cause us to worry, to be afraid, uh, and we don't fret about them, and we don't pursue these things in the flesh because we'll, then you'll meet with a lot of catastrophe um, along the way. I, so, so, but we do, so when we even pray for ourselves and pray for others, we do want to pray for these things. Um, and God seeks to develop them in our lives. Then he says this. Oh, let me read this phrase for you. I think I have it in your notes. I'm not sure. Um, it was from, a, from a, 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 a commentary that I was reading, and the guy said, acceptance of doctrine about Christ must lead to a decisive modification in duty. So the idea is the duty that you have to God in the way that you live. So what he's saying here, and this is the connection that Paul is making for us, when we learn about Christ, it's never enough to learn about Christ. That's not the end game. God wants us to know more about Christ, but it is to have an impact on us as an individual, the whole person. So it's not an impact only on my mind and what I know, it's an impact on the way I respond to life, the way I live life, the way I get along with others, the way I view, uh, the way I view myself, the way I view others. That's to have an impact on me. So the more that I learn about Christ, and so what he has been spending time on is this union we have with Christ. When I learn about this wonderful blessing that we have, this very intimate identity that I have with Christ, that is supposed to mean something. And I, don't, and I don't mean that it's isolated, that it means I have greater confidence or that it means I have greater assurance. It will bring that. And it does mean that. But not only that. It brings about, and it's supposed to bring about, a change in the individual. Remember, we're talking about having a relationship with God who is the creator of all things. So he's not just some you know, old man living next door. That doesn't really matter. This is you and I are alive just because he exists. Remember that the power of God is so great that when it comes to what we call the natural laws, the law of gravity, or, or the way our body works, that you know, most of the time we don't think about our breathing, we just do that. All these things that go on. God is not this supreme being where he's thinking about all these things and juggling them and saying, okay, I've got to make sure I've got the law of gravity continuing consistently so nobody flies off the planet. I've got to make sure all these, you know, all eight billion human beings are breathing like this. God's not putting any effort into that. The fact that he just exists, his power is so great that he, because he's alive, because he's a, you know, he's a, it's a true supreme being, all these things just happen. But it's all based on his power. He ceases to exist. There is no law of gravity. Your body doesn't breathe on its own. Nothing's good. All right, so that's how incredible God is. And so we now are claiming that we have a relationship with this being. All right, we should be different. People should, when they hear, and sometimes you hear it when people they'll say, when you, if they find out you're a Christian, they may say to you, which is not a good thing to hear, you're a Christian. 
I just kind of expected more from you. That, that's kind of a good thing. All right? They, they should. Be. Why do they do that? Because in their mind, if you are a Christian, you are committed to Christ, you follow Christ, I would expect to be able to tell that you have that relationship with this, even though they don't even know all that stuff, there's this expectation that because of the greatness of who Christ is, that you would somehow be different. And I, and I would agree. Uh, we would all agree with that. Um, and so that's what Paul is doing. He's giving us the nuts and bolts of how we ought to do this. So bearing with one another then means, so think of it this way. In the Bible, when there is an assumption that is made by God, he's never wrong. Right? If I make an assumption about you, I could be wrong. If God makes, an, makes what appears to be an assumption, he's never wrong. So what's the assumption here? When he says bear with one another, the assumption is that there are some people that are hard to bear with. That's there. You can't get away from it. If nobody was hard to get along with, then he wouldn't have to put that in there. Right? He puts it in there for a reason. So that means we have to put up with each other. And some people, it may be more difficult than others. And so you will need patience. And you will need strength under control. And you will need to be reminded that you are to be kind. Uh, because you'll be tempted not to be kind towards certain people. So we want to make an allowance for other people's faults. That's, what, that's what's going on when it says that. Now, you don't bring attention to it. I'm not going to talk to Matt and say, you know, well, you know, I'm talking to you tonight, Matt, because God says I have to, and I've got to put up with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, not, that's not a good thing, all right? But it's a recognition of reality. Reality is, is that we're all affected by sin, and we all have flaws and faults. And the way we're going to be able to get along is not only because there's a thing called forgiveness. We're going to get along because I'm going to follow the commands of Christ, and I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to bear with your faults. And I trust that you'll bear with mine. Because we all have them. Every single one of, every single one of us. We have them. And it can be all, and it's, and it's not... It's not limited to just spiritual things. I think it's everything. When I was in Hawaii, there was a, I used to manage a Christian bookstore. And there was this lady uh, that worked for me. She was a member of our church. She was French. And she was married to a Chinese guy that was raised in Brooklyn. And they, and they met in Vietnam. <laughs> so it was just a very bizarre thing. But anyway... So because of experiences in Vietnam, and I didn't know this, you know, I would sometimes pick her up, because uh, she lived down the street from where I lived, I would pick her up and she'd ride in to work with me. I one time, I'm just, you know, I, when I, my, wife would, my wife would tell you this, it bothers her too. When I chew gum, man, I'm working on it. I mean, I'm chomping on that gum, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so I'm, I'm chewing gum, and uh, all of a sudden, her name was Claude, and Claude said, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you have to stop quick. And I'm like, I have no idea what she's talking about. She says, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm starting to pull over. She goes, no, don't pull over, but you got to stop. I go, don't pull over, but i got to stop. I can't stop in the middle of the road. What are you talking about? And then she finally got it out, your gum. I go, my gum? And so, so I end up spitting it out the window. I go, what's the problem? And whatever happened to her when she, when she could hear someone chewing on gum, it just, it made her nauseous. She had a flashback to whatever was going on. She worked in the medical unit in Vietnam and a reminder of some sound and she would just have this gag reflex. And so 
I never chewed gum in her presence again. All right? So, now to me, that kind of a reaction is a fault. But, you know what? I can chew gum other times. It's not that big of a deal. I'm, I'm not going to chew gum. I, I, every now and then I was thinking, I wonder if I should try it today and see if, it's, if she still has the same reaction. But that would be <laughs> So I didn't do that. All right, so the idea is that sometimes when you, when you put up with the faults of others, we have to recognize as believers, sometimes you're going to be, in a sense, inconvenienced. And we don't like that. All right, we don't mind being nice to other people as long as we're not put out. But if we're being put out, man, we don't like it. And we've got to get over that. All right, we, you, we live a life of service to others. It's, it's not really that big of a deal unless you make it one. All right? it, it doesn't have to hurt your pride or any of those kinds of things. And so we need to recognize that, yes, people have faults. We don't just only put up with individuals who don't have faults. All right, first of all, those people don't even exist. Um, but the idea is, is that people have all kinds of things going on for all kinds of reasons. And so to be a mature believer means you have the ability to do that, period. And we must do that. And we all have, you know, we all have our quirks. Some of us, those quirks are maybe endearing. And in other cases, those quirks may be really, you know, grating. But, you know, you can do that. And, that, and that's what he's telling us to do. So living the Christian life is not just, oh, I love the Lord, and we're always singing about, always thinking about hymns we can sing, and we're always reading the Bible and memorizing verses, and we're telling everybody about Jesus, and all that's great. But it also gets down to the nitty-gritty of life as well. Right? And, we, and so and it's this putting up with the faults of others. Uh, sometimes you're putting up with faults as you're waiting for them to grow as Christians. In other situations, there are certain things that this is not going to ever be different. This is never going to change. And we can't get, we're not to get angry about that. We're not to get bitter about that. We're not to get cynical. Uh, we need to put up with that. So we need to make sure that uh, we recognize then that living the Christian life then is a very practical everyday thing as well as all the other things we sometimes imagine it to be. Then he says this, if one has a complaint against another. So the assumption behind there is that someone is going to offend you. Right? In one way or the other, it's going to happen. Now, offense can be a lot of different things. It doesn't always mean that your feelings are hurt in, in that sense. Um, I, now, I will be honest, I do believe when people talk about being offended by others, that that term is often overused. All right? I do think, especially because of politics, I, I think that there are times, and maybe it's a lot, when people will say they're offended and they're not. Not really offended. It's just a way to either stir up trouble or to get you, to, whatever it is. All right? And you really can't discuss that with most people because they're just not going to like, how dare you? I mean, there's all that. That's going to happen. But when it comes to within the body of Christ, because this is where it's primarily going to be exercised, is if we have a complaint, so he doesn't say you're wrong, he doesn't say that, that the person didn't really do anything to you, the bottom line is, is that you have a complaint, this is how you are to respond. So I think some of this is in your notes. So com the word complaint here, the Greek word that's used here is used only here in the New Testament. Um, it does have a, a root that it comes from, but this version of it is used only here. But it refers to a cause for grievance or a complaint or reproach or maybe blame. Sometimes it's translated with the word quarrel, which I think is in the King James. 
Uh, the verb, which is mimphomai, comes from the noun uh, mamphi or momphi, and it means to find fault with someone, to be, de- to, to be dissatisfied with someone, and it refers most commonly to errors of omission. So the idea is that someone doesn't do what they say they're going to do, or someone, or, or someone is not doing something. So maybe someone's not following through. Maybe someone's not showing you respect. Maybe someone's not listening to you, that kind of thing. So you have this grievance against an individual for something they're not doing that you think they should do, probably towards you in some way, and so you have this complaint. It doesn't mean you have a complaint that you would actually take to someone else. Right? So it's not like you have a, you know, you don't be sitting there thinking, well, I don't really have anyone that I would go to Bob and complain about. It's not coming to me to complain about anybody. Right? It's, just, it's just the idea that you, you would have a, in a sense, you would have a legitimate complaint that others would understand. Right? Now, think about that for just a minute, because one of the contexts that we would exercise speech in that is when we're just talking to the people about someone else and we complain about them. You know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm talking to Ron and I go, yeah, but, you know, I mean, I know Lance is a nice guy, but he doesn't always keep his word. Well, what am I doing? Even if what I'm saying is true, why am I, why am I telling Ron? That's gossip. And I'm not following what the Bible says. What does he say? Well, it just so happens he tells you. If you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So make a list, if you're a believer, of all the sins that God refuses to forgive you for. That would be zero. That's how many things that you could hold against others. That would be zero. We are commanded to forgive. Forgiveness is never about you forgiving someone when you feel like it, because some people, some people go in that direction. They'll think this. Well, if I'm going to forgive somebody, it's important that I really mean it. Okay, that would be true. And they may be thinking then along those lines that, so when I, when I really feel I've come to the place that I can really forgive them, okay, that's, that's not from the Bible. That's from the world. That's psychology. It's bad psychology. We're commanded to forgive. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Now, when you forgive somebody, uh, you're making a promise. Okay, that's just kind of what's, what's in, in, built into the word. So the idea then is that, so let's say Lance has offended me for whatever the reason. If I forgive him, that means, number one, I am, now I don't say it like this, but this is what this would mean. I am promising to never bring it up again in a context where I'm trying to diminish him or complain about him in any way. I never bring it up. Okay? Number two, I am promising, that even if I remember it, I would never bring it up to use against him. I'm like, I'll never say to the Lance, you know Lance, I mean, I know that five years ago I forgave you, but what you just did, that, that's the same thing. You don't do that. It's simple to do that. Okay, I don't do that. And then number three, I'm kind of expressing a promise that if there's anything that reminds me of maybe what he's done in a negative way, I need to get rid of it. So you get rid of it. Because I don't want there to be anything between us. Because God's commanded me to forgive him. Remember, 
people have said this from time to time. Sometimes when they say this, they're not really thinking about it. But people will say, well, I'm just having a hard time forgiving Lance because he just he doesn't deserve it. Well, of course he doesn't deserve it. Who deserves forgiveness? Nobody. If God only forgave people who deserved it, none of us would be forgiven. So the bottom line is, is that's what he needs. That's what we need for our relationship. That's what we need. So I must forgive. And I'm able to forgive because God has given me the capacity. I don't have an excuse. Now I, may, now, I might still be wrestling with my feelings, but that's between me and God. That's my sinfulness. Right? So I, so I can say the words. I can say, Lance, brother, I, you know, let's say we kind of hash it out. I said, I, I, I forgive you. I know I'm, I'm commanded to forgive you, but I, I forgive you. Um, and uh, I'm going to do my best to, to let this go. I mean, I'm a human being. Okay, so I may still struggle with my feelings. But it's got nothing to do with Lance. Okay? It's not, it can never be that I'm talking to Ron and I say, well, you know, Ron, I, I, you know, I, I forgive him Lance, but man, man, he makes it hard. What do you mean he makes it hard? He doesn't make anything hard. My heart makes it hard. Right? So whether it's something big or small, something that's very personal or something that's very superficial, the bottom line is I have a command. And I am able to do this because of the relationship I have with Christ. My, if I have an inability to get over this, if I have an inability to forgive, that reveals that there's something amiss or maybe a weakness in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with Lance and what he did. It's me and Christ. Something's amiss there. That, and that makes this really a bummer for us because, you know, the fingers keep pointing back to us. But that's the reality of this. God knows that because of sin, we are going to offend each other. It's going to happen. We're going to let people down. It's going to happen. And we must forgive. And there are times when it is very difficult. It's very hard. But if you're really forgiving someone, that would kind of be the thing. It is going to be hard. We, we were able to do it because of Christ. And, of course, he reminds us there, uh, again, of what Christ has forgiven us for. So, so keep this in mind if you're ever really struggling in forgiving someone. So let's say I'm, I'm having a real hard time forgiving Lance. I might be kind of projecting this idea that what Lance has done to me is worse than anything I've ever done to God. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I know God's forgiven me for everything. But what Lance has done, you know, done to me, that, that's, that's even worse than my betrayal to God. Well, that, that kind of helps us to realize, yeah, that's, it's not the same. Or it may be even this. God has forgiven Lance, but I'm not. Oh. So God has chosen to forgive this individual for whatever. Are you claiming that you either you know more than God, or you have more authority than God, or you are higher than God, that, that you're going to hold on to his sin? So it really makes it about us, a great deal about us, which can make us really, really uncomfortable. And what we sometimes will think, and all of that is, because it bothers us so much, is it's just not fair. Of course it's not fair. 
fair means people get what they deserve. How about you? I have never asked God to treat me fairly. And I never will. Because if God treats me fairly, that means God's going to give me exactly what I deserve. Or God's going to treat me exactly like everybody else. I don't want that. I want mercy. I, I want mercy from God. That's what I need from Him. So it can bother us because we have this thing inside of us that, that this person needs to pay for what they've done. And of course, obviously, there's different levels of what, how we've been offended by others. So there are some people who have done some very serious things. So we're never minimizing that. So we're, so we're not trying to say that it's an easy thing. All right, don't ever get me wrong on that. But the thing is, is that um, the seriousness of what that individual has done, we have this thing built inside of us. We, we, we might even say we want justice. It may really be more like revenge. But we want that individual to hurt or to feel what we felt. But we really don't have a right to demand that. We think we do, because we're the offended party. But God is the one who is perfect in all his judgments. And God is the judge. We're, we're not the judge. So even though I want certain things. Now, we may go through a struggle. You know, Lord, I, you know, Lance, he, he's really good me. And I might even be tempted to pray, Lord, just rain it down on him. You know, what he's done to me or whatever. But the bottom line is, how does God want me to handle it? And, you know, because again, we're dealing with a brother. We're not dealing with someone who's the enemy of God. Okay, this is not a situation where David is being hunted down by his enemies. And God, and, and David says, Lord, man, they hate me, they hate you, get them. And this is not what this is. Right, it's very different. So, when it comes to personal betrayals and hurts, you know, that, that, that's like, you know, the husband-wife thing, uh, family things. Those can be really, really hard. Again, if you want freedom from that kind of a burden, it's through forgiveness. We, again, we, we sometimes we hesitate because we sometimes wrongly think that if we forgive that individual, that somehow that means that what they did wasn't that big of a deal. It doesn't mean that. You may feel that, and your feelings are wrong. In, in, in essence, what we're saying is, is what that person has done is so grievous. Forgiveness is the only way we can deal with this. Because I can never get from them what I really want as far as them feeling what I've suffered or feeling my pain. I can't, I can't make them feel that. I can't, I can't make them feel the depth of that sense of betrayal that I, that I feel. Um, and so forgiveness is the only way. And so our union with Christ this relationship we have with Christ is, is just paramount to you and I being able to, to live this life here without an, an impediment, which that, that can bring me down, that can, that can hold me back, that can breed, you know, that can breed bitterness and cynicism. And here's the thing to remember about bitterness and cynicism. So if I don't forgive uh, Lance, even if I say I do, if I don't really forgive him, then I can, I can begin to become bitter. Now, in the beginning, it may seem like I'm only becoming bitter towards Lance. That's not how the human psyche works. That bitterness and that cynicism is going to be expressed to everybody. Now, not, it's not really bad in the beginning. It doesn't mean that I walk around hating everyone. It doesn't work like that. But what happens is, is, is there be maybe, maybe it's this way. There's a little bit of edge. I just have a little less patience with everyone. Because when our hearts become hardened by sin, they never are only hardened towards those who have offended us. 
We may think it is, but it's not. And those that we would never want to hurt or offend or what have you, we're in a better or an easier position to do that. And again, it may be slight in the beginning that you, you may not even notice it. But remember, the standard is not, well, you know, I know I'm a little bitter, but, you know, I'm not as bitter as Frank. That's not the standard. The standard is, the standard is Christ. And so we, uh, we want to make sure that we recognize that as believers. And this is what God is expecting of all of us as believers. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you, Scarlett. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I got my reflex. That's okay. <laughs> Primarily, primarily. It does flow over into our relationship with everyone because we represent Christ, but he is writing to believers. And he's writing about how we live, and, and it's primarily what's going on within the church. So it's not limited, but it is primarily. And if we can't live this way with each other, I mean, in fact, think about it this way. The relationships that we have with each other are to be lived out in such a way that the world begins to long for what we have. Because they notice. They don't always say it, but they notice. When it, and, if you, and again, if you think about it, I mean, a lot of us that know each other that have become friends because of Christ, I don't know if we would have become friends without the Lord. It's not that we don't like each other. It's not that I don't know you, don't know We just don't run in the same circles. The only circles we run in the same is the church. And then and some people some people will view, view us very differently and be like, how did you two guys become friends? You know, they're like, that's just really weird. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of guys in the church, and man, they really love fishing. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just, I mean, the whole fishing thing is like, oh, I guess it's fun. I mean, I'll go do it with somebody, but I just don't get a kick out of that. And they're probably thinking about me, like, so you like to go to the gym and push around weights, like, like what is that about? You know, <laughs> like, and it hurts, and, you, and the place smells, and like, what is that? You know, and I'm, I'm like, oh, it's really great. You know, they're like, Ooh. you know, we have, and we have, and then there's, you know, there's individuals you like to read. I'm in that group, the book nerd. All right, and then there's some of us who hardly ever read anything, and I'm thinking, how do you live? <laughs> you don't read anything. What's wrong with you? All right, but we become friends, and what 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 draws us? It's Christ. That's what draws us together. And so, and we learn to appreciate our differences and, and we accept each other and all, those, all these things that he's talking about. And the world, the world is crazy wanting this kind of stuff in life. They want it desperately. They really do. And they can't have it. I read a very, uh, just so you get back to the reading thing, because I read really weird things sometimes. So I was reading a psychoanalysis of uh, relationships that men have with other men when they go to a bar. And they go and have beer, and they, you know, the guys who go to, the, go to a bar a lot. But here's the thing. So they say that uh, what is it that, that can draw these guys together, in a sense, to be able to talk to each other for hours? They've never met before. And one of the things that draws it is being negative. So, you, so let's say that you don't like our government. And you go to a bar to have a beer, and there's another guy there that doesn't like our government. You're going to hit it off. <laughs> and you're going to talk for a long time. Because you have something in common, which is something negative. Now, you may have some positive things to talk about, 
And, and that may be a good thing, but that won't last as long and won't have as much fuel as the negative thing. So even if you like the same football teams, your football team stinks, you guys can talk for hours, right? <laughs> or if your football team wins all the time and everybody hates your team, you can talk for hours. But if your team is kind of in the middle of the road, it's kind of like, you know, you know <laughs> there's just not a whole lot there that's positive. All right, so it's the, it's the negative aspect. But the reason why that, we, that kind of draws us together is we, we long for connection with other people. We long for that. And we long for that common ground, no matter what the guy is or who they are or whatever. And that's not bad. God's created us that way. So here within the church, all that is just sanctified. And it's not, it's not based on that we all don't like a certain branch of the government. It's not based on whatever. It, there's, there's things of greater substance than that that draw us together and keep us together. Um, and, and that's what all this is about. And that's what this is for. So that's why, even though Colossians is a very short book, uh, and if you read it just at a, at a regular pace, it probably will take you 12 to 14 minutes to read the entire letter. So I would say slow it down. And a lot of these, when it comes to the real, you know, even though doctrine is important, I'm never minimizing that, we, we don't want to skip over all these commands as to how we are to be and what we are to do. Uh, and because that is of great importance. So again, uh, the idea is that we are to forgive. We forgive each other in the same way that God has forgiven us, and then he adds at the end, so you also must forgive. So for the believer, there's no option. We have to do that. Um, and in fact, it's so serious. Christ was telling some stories once when he was, when he was preaching, and he gave an illustration, and he talked about, um, paraphrasing, but he talked about an individual who's on his way to the temple, and he has a, a gift. You know, it's like bringing your tithe to the church. You have a gift for the temple. And you're on your way there, all right? You're going you're to give this because you love God, you want to serve God, and you're going to be obedient to God. So all that's wonderful. And he says, you're on your way, and then you remember that someone has something against you. You remember that there's a, there's a problem. So we'll put it in modern day language. I'm getting ready for church, and I'm going to come here, I'm going to exercise my spiritual gift, I'm going to come here, I'm going to preach, and I remember that Lance and I have a problem. How important is that problem to God? It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what the problem is, how important is it? So what, when Jesus tells the story, he says that when that man remembers that someone has something against him, Basically, he says, put the gift down. Don't go to the temple. Go to him. Work it out. Then come back, get your gift, and present it. That's pretty powerful. That's very powerful. That's how concerned and how important it is to God that, that these things get worked out. One time in my life, when I lived on the Big Island of Hawaii, there was an issue uh, with a lady in our church and me. Had to do with her kids. Um, I didn't think that she was being a very good mother. And I scolded her kids once in a very good way. I wasn't mean. Uh, and she flipped uh, when I did that. Uh, but I felt I had to step in because some other kids were going to get, receive some bodily harm. And so I had to go put a stop to it. And boy, she just had a hard time. And she just went off. She lost it. 
and she didn't want to talk about it. And so I called her brother-in-law, kind of told him what happened. I said, we, do, we need to get together and work this out. Um, and again, when I say work it out, there is no, remember, you can't always resolve things in the sense where there's a resolution, where someone says, well, you know, I shouldn't have said this, or you, I mean, it's not always going to be that. It's going to be, that's what it is. I felt I did what was right in the right way, and she feels, from the way she feels, and they're just never going to be in agreement on this. This is not going to happen. But as believers, we got to be able to forgive and move forward. And so her brother-in-law just kind of hem and hauled, and he, you know, he, whatever. So that's okay. So then I called the pastor, who's my friend, and I said, man, I've got this problem, man. And I said, it, I mean, it's serious. You know, she's really, really upset, and, you know, whatever. So, you know, he said, okay. So Sunday came, and I told my wife, I said, well, I can't go to church. She said, why? I said, well, it's not worked out. What does the Bible say? And so then on Monday, my friend who was a pastor called me up. He said, why weren't you in church Sunday? He said, dude, I called you. I told you what was going on. And he didn't mean to say it this way, but this is what he said, because he's a great brother. He said, wow, you really do take the Bible seriously, don't you? I said, well, yeah. I said, I can't be a phony. I can't go there and pretend everything's wonderful and worship God. Everything's not fine. I said, and I'm not looking for her to agree with me. I'm not looking for that. But we need to work this out so there's peace between us. And he goes, so guess what? Boy, he, he got on the phone, and next thing I know, we're all meeting together in the park that afternoon on Sunday, which was great. And I can't remember what happened except it got worked out. I do not remember the details. This was years ago. All right. But the thing is, is that's how important it is. All right? So it's, it's viewing and loving. You know, it's one of those things that can affect worship. And God is very serious about our worshiping and gathering with believers and worshiping and, and focusing on who God is. is he, he's not, he doesn't want this hypocrisy where you know, we pretend one thing and then go to church and worship. He doesn't want that. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to have perfect harmony all the time. We're not saying that. Those things, there's going to be all these little things we have all the time. But we need to be actively pursuing to live in this, in this way. And if we do that, it pleases the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Um, Brother Bob, yep. what if you um, have forgave someone and they haven't forgave you, but you have to move on? What, how do you handle if that? They, if you've forgiven them, if, so if you've tried, uh, Romans says, as much as possible, as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So you do, you do everything possible, you forgive, and if they refuse to forgive, that's on them. Okay. That's it. You know, you can't, but you have to make sure then that when, when you do that, you can't treat them poorly. They may treat you poorly, but you don't treat them poorly. Okay. And we go from there. Hopefully, that would be a rare thing, yeah. but it does happen. Yeah. All right, verses, wow. Okay, verses 14 to 15. Well, we'll read the verses and we'll get started, but we won't get very far. <laughs> All right, so verses 14 and 15, it says, and above all, so he's still talking about all these things we need to put on, you know, we need to put on the, the way that we behave, uh, the kindness, the humility, the actions, this forgiveness, all these kinds of things, and above all, so what he's saying is above, above all these things, all this stuff is important, but now on top of this, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what God wants is for you and I to have harmony with each other. That's not agreement. It's harmony, okay? So, I'm really into theology, and I know Matt is into theology, and there's probably some things we disagree on, but we can have harmony. We don't agree, 
but there's peace between us. He's, there may be some things I believe that he is absolutely convinced that I am out to lunch on. And I'm convinced that he's maybe wrong on certain things. But we can have harmony because we understand what's important, what's secondary, etc. So it doesn't mean agreement. Like it doesn't mean everyone's going to do things the way you want them to or whatever. But we can have agreement. Um, we can, and we can have, so we can have harmony rather than agreement. So that's what he's telling us. Above all, but I love. So love is what brings that together. Okay? So think about your family, if, you, if your family's intact. There are people in your family, you would disagree with the way, maybe the way they do some things. You may disagree with some of the things they might think. You might disagree with a lot of things. But, but it's family, right? We say, oh, but it's family. And we're willing to what? Overlook things that we consider to be insignificant. We're, we're going to overlook them. Why? Because we love them. So I have four children. All of my children have some things about them, I guess, that are kind of, you know, gosh, I wish they didn't do that. Or maybe it's a little irritating. But I'm like, you know, but I love them, so I don't care. I care, but I don't care. It's not important. You know, it's, these are small things. It might be a, a nuisance to me. Or I might be inconvenienced. So it could be all kinds of things. But the bottom line is, is because of love, that, that's what keeps unity. That's what brings all this stuff together. And so that's what we are to have with each other. So love, again, this is agape love. So, again, it's not this idea that we feel loving towards each other. Now, that's an important aspect of, of the church, but it's, it, that's a different word for that, or different phrases used for that. You know, they talk about brotherly kindness and that warmth that we are to have for each other. That is to be developed. But love is this very, we have a very high level of commitment to each other for each other's best well-being. We, we really want what is best for each other, period. We want, we want what's best for them spiritually. We want what's best for them emotionally. We want what's best for them. And so this is, so this is what uh, is the unifying cloak that we are to wear in the relationship that we have with each other. It, it's what guides and directs us, and he'll get into more detail about that in a minute, which we will not cover tonight. We will cover next week. Uh, but it's the actual how to ensure that it is the cloak that really guides and directs us and ensures that there will be this uh, peace, that there will be this harmony that God desires, this unity that God wants us to have. It guarantees how we can have that. So again, and above all these, put on love, again, which, it, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that brings about perfect harmony, or really a, when the word perfect there can be misleading. It's more of a complete or mature harmony. Okay, that's the idea. It's, it's this complete harmony or mature. Uh, so, in, in, uh, so my wife and I have been married 47 years. Uh, there is, there's, we, there's peace and harmony between us. There's things that each, each one of us does that the other person doesn't really care for. There are, there are differences. We have disagreements. We have all that kind of stuff. But there's a harmony there because there's this commitment to, to each other. There's a commitment in, in love. This is a love that God pours in our hearts. So again, as Christians, we're all able to do this. So you don't wait around until you, can feel, until you feel like doing it. It's a, it's a command. Um, it's uh, where you do loving things, and the feeling of love will come whenever it comes. All right? And we can do that. And we can do that, again, because of this relationship or the union we have with Christ. 
That's why we're always emphasizing this relationship we have or why we emphasize our growth in Christ or we emphasize this union we have in Christ. That brings this about. That's what enables us to have that capacity to be able to love this way. You, you can't make yourself do it. You can in the beginning, but you're going to run out of energy. You're going to run out of patience. You know, if someone's going to come do something that you just say, well, I put it with a lot, but I'm not putting up with that. Oh, so you're living in the flesh. All right, but, but in the spirit, or living in the power of the spirit, as we mature and grow, we, you'll be amazed at what you can put up with because you won't feel like you're putting up with it. Right? Uh, sometimes, uh, you, may have, you may notice this, that sometimes you know, people will have a very severely um, a, a handicapped or retarded child. I mean, severely. And we sometimes, we're amazed at the patience of the family in dealing with, with this individual who's completely dependent upon them for everything. And we sometimes will think, which is not, I don't think it's incorrect, it's not mean, but we think, I could just never put up with that. I mean, I might be able to help them out for an hour, I might be able to help them out for two hours, but I could never do that. It's because there's no love there. You don't have that relationship, they do. Um, my wife and I, each time that she was pregnant, um, I purposely had this discussion with my wife. I said, now, we need to, we need to talk about this because it's always a possibility. We do not know, now that you're pregnant, we do not know if our child is going to be healthy. We don't know that. We don't know if something may happen to them and they may be severely handicapped or whatever. But we are going to decide right now that no matter what, we're going to love them, we're going to be committed to them, Period. And of course, she's on board with that. It wasn't like it was. Like, it wasn't like she was saying, "Well, I don't know about that." I mean, that's not. You know, we were together, but I, I, I want us to be cognizant because I've heard people say, "We just never expected this," and you still don't really expect it. But you have to be prepared. And there are times nowadays, even back then, they were doing this, where a doctor will come to you and say, "You know, in the six month, uh, we've noticed some difficulties with your pregnancy, and our advice to you is your child is going to have A, B, and C." you may want to consider aborting your child. And the people who do, there's people who do that. A lot of people do that. It's, it's, it's unbelievable common. Remember, I think it's Norway. They brag that they almost eliminated Down syndrome. You know how they've done it? Every single woman who's pregnant, and they say the pregnancy's at risk of being Down syndrome, they abort the baby. That's what they do. They, so basically, they kill them all. And so you go to that country, you won't see any kids with Down syndrome. That happen. And that's, there's people who advocate saying that's a good thing. Because somehow they believe they have the right to judge and say, well, that child can never have a good life. You ever met a Down syndrome kid? They seem to be liking life, I think. They're, they're having a good time. You know, they have ups and downs like everybody else. Uh, but they don't view what they got going on as a handicap. That's all they know. They're doing, they're doing terrific. All right? So this thing here about love... It's really an important thing. It's not, again, it's not just some nice fancy term to make everybody feel better. It's, it's a very concrete, practical understanding of how we are to live the Christian life. And to live like this does require this growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ so we can become these kinds of people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as always, we are grateful to you because you are good to us in so many ways. And Father, we thank you for these very really very practical, on one hand, kind of simple commands, even though they can be very, very difficult to live out. 
We ask, Lord, you would help us to strive to make these a part of our life. We desire, Lord, for you to produce these things in our life. That, Father, we can have a life that's free. We can have a life that exemplifies Christ. A life that reveals the power of Christ in us. So that others may come to receive the wonderful gift of salvation. We ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your grace. And you would keep us safe until we're able to gather together again. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.